Awesome. Good evening, Oasis. Um, my name is Ben. I'm the Multiplication Networking Pastor here at Grace Point. Most of you, some of you know me. Uh, some of you might not, which is really great. So I'm going to introduce myself a little bit. Um, I used to be the pastor of Oasis, the young adult uh, and college pastor here at Grace Point before Brennan. Uh, yes, so good. <laughs> so, yeah, one person. Um, the Oasis, like, runs in my veins. Uh, it's the ministry that God used to save my life, where, where Jesus became real uh, and, and my Savior, my King, and my Lord. And so I love um, just what God has done, is doing, and will continue to do uh, here in this space and with you guys. Um, I have been married for 12 years, almost didn't remember that. I have three kids and one on the way. Um, and he's, the next one is going to be a son, born on December 25th, so the second coming. <laughs> I'm so glad you laughed at that. I said that, I was like, that's the dumbest joke I think I've ever thought of. Obviously not real. But I have slowly been trying to figure out just how to parent. How to parent as a follower of Jesus, how to parent just, not even just as a pastor, but just like as a human being. And I don't know if people, I don't know if you've heard this, Parenting can be really difficult. And at the same time, parent, parenting can be really awesome. Um, last night, we went to La Cantina, a great restaurant here in town. And my son, who's a two-year-old, has the best dance moves in our family, and I didn't know it. And so I get to witness him dancing like a maniac in the middle of a restaurant. It's the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. Today, I got a snap from my wife. Uh, yes, I use Snapchat, not a ton, just for her. And it said, <laughs> um, it was here at church, that Alice was teaching Otis a new trick to drink water out of the water fountain. And her trick is to pool the water up in the fountain and then drink it like a dog. That's the correct response. <laughs> Parenting is going to be really hard, but really awesome. Um, there are things that I've noticed that my kids do that when they value something or like or see something they want or they prioritize something, they act irrational. And this is just, as, as a 34-year-old, their dad looking at him was like, you are being ridiculous right now. A couple months ago, we did a family trip to Sioux Falls, and we always end our family trips to Sioux Falls at Barnes & Noble. Underrated toy store for kids. Uh, they have all the books you could ever want. Um, we like to go through uh, just what, what do they have to help kids kind of learn, but at the same time, like just different stories. Like, the kids section is phenomenal. And so me and Abby were feeling a little bit gracious, and we're like, hey, you know what? Today's a day where everyone gets one thing. And by everyone, I mean, that includes me and mom, because we pay for it, so we get something too. <laughs> and so they're going around, the store, and immediately, because my daughter is me, I have to try to, like, point her in a direction that is, okay, you can't, like, don't just grab the first thing you see, because there's a lot of stuff here. Right, where, where my son is logical, he's calm, he's like, not simple-minded is not the right way, but he's just like, he sees things, and he, he analyzes, and he, he's his mother. And so he goes around, he looks, and he's super passionate about Legos, so he goes to the Lego section, and he's like, okay. And in his head, he's just, I think he's thinking, what is the biggest thing I can get, get that can convince my dad to buy me? Where Alice sees a stuffed unicorn and immediately goes to that and won't think about anything else. She has four stuffed dragons or unicorns at home, but needs another one by the names of Sparkle, Kathy, Fluffy, and Unicorny. Like that, those are the names. But we need another one. And so she goes, grabs the unicorn, is like, okay, like one thing. 
And she goes to her brother, shows her brother what she picked out, this, this ridiculous stuffed unicorn, and sees Wesley looking at the Legos. And all of a sudden, she's like, uh, sees the Legos, and it's fine. And then she sees, uh, I'm gonna, like, Encanto, right, the Disney movie? They had that, a Lego set for that. And we've, this has been a time in our life where we, all, that's the only movie she would pick to watch. And so she's just all in. And she goes, Dad, I want the Legos. I said, okay, <laughs> one thing, remember? And she goes, yeah, I remember. And so I said, well, you got to go put your unicorn back and take a Legos. No, but I want both. That's not, that's not how it works, right? And so eventually, like, convinced her, just, if she wanted the Legos, okay, she got the Legos. We bought them on the drive home. Anticipation and excitement to, like, put the Legos set together. Did it that night. Charged way too much for how quick it is to put Legos together, by the way. And, and all of a sudden, a few days after this, my daughter comes out hysterically from bed. Like she's tucked in sleeping. She comes out crying and screaming. And she's like, in a, like we can't understand a, anything she's saying. And my wife is able to decipher in her mumbles and in her crying and in her freaking out that she misses the unicorn. The unicorn that we didn't buy three days ago at Barnes & Noble. She wanted it so bad. Fast forward three months. No conversation about the unicorn since. And all of a sudden, Alice comes out, hysterical, crying, freaking out, comes into the bedroom. Alice, what's going on? What's wrong? Did you have a bad dream? It's like, I really want the unicorn. We had no conversation about it. Fast forward another few months to last Tuesday. (laughs) Comes out, crying, freaking out. Like, we do this thing where after we tuck the kids in, I go get ice cream for me and Abby because we can. And, And Alice comes out, freaking out, crying, like, she wants the unicorn so bad. She values it so much that months will go by and then she'll all of a sudden remember it and freak out because she doesn't have it. Like, I think sometimes just as humans, we tend to do like what seem to be really irrational things or act irrationally based off what we value or what we deem to be important. And it's not just about unicorns, right? Like you think about college, some of you are in this room right now where you flew across state, you had a visit maybe at SDSU and something like was like, yeah, I'm supposed to go here. And you uprooted yourself, you moved away from friends and family and you came here to SDSU for a degree. Like some people look at that, maybe some of your family look at that like, that's, like, that's crazy. Sometimes we do from what outside looking in, people would deem irrational or weird or crazy for things that we deem really, really important. And this week, talking about the secrets of the kingdom, Jesus answers the question, what is most important? So if you have your Bibles, open up with me to Matthew 13. Uh, we're gonna read verses 44 through 46. We're actually gonna talk about two parables, technically, um, looking at Jesus answering the question, what is most important? Let's read this together. It says this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. Jesus is pointing us and giving us an indication of what is truly important. And, and I think, obviously for, for my daughter who's five years old, I think it's a little rational that you could freak out about a stuffed animal. At some point, I hope it goes away. I'm hoping I'm not in 10 years telling the same story. 
But even in the church, like as disciples of Jesus, we prioritize and we line up and we list things of like what is important, right? And we'll throw out things like, well, we gotta go to church, right? You hear us a ton at Oasis talk about community, being in a small group, because like a lot of us has experienced like the goodness and grace of God in the midst of being in a community, in a small group. Talk about, um, well, God says to, to love him is the greatest commandment and to love a neighbor as yourself. Like you gotta love God and love people. That's gotta be the most important. And some of us say, well, you look at Matthew 28, the way Jesus said it, he said, go make disciples of all nations. That's got to be the most important. And we look at Jesus. And here in this parable, I think he gives us a clue, an indication of what is most important. And he says, the kingdom of heaven. And, how do I, and why do I phrase this as this being the most important thing? And we'll get into that and I'll explain it a little bit. But you look at when disciples go to Jesus and they say, hey, teach us how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What? Your kingdom come. Right? Well, yeah, well, that's just a prayer. He also prayed a lot of things. He said a lot of things. Look at Jesus' declaration of why he came in Mark 1 and Matthew 3. It says, John is in prison, and Jesus goes around the countryside, and he says, this. he says, the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus tells us that the good news is the kingdom of heaven is here. And then we just think about it. In Matthew 6, why is the kingdom of heaven the most important thing? Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. Jesus points us and directs us to priority, to what is most important, the kingdom of heaven. And in the parable, what he tells us is to receive it once you stumble upon it, once you search for it, once it's found, the implication is you go and you sell everything. So here's what I'm going to do. Next 20 minutes, I'm going to talk about what it looks like to sell all and everything. And then I'm going to give you some just statements on why I believe the kingdom of heaven is valuable. Some truths about the kingdom of heaven. So what does it mean to sell everything. What does it mean to sell all as the, the servant in a field when he found the treasure, sold all he had? As the merchant who was looking for fine pearls, saw one of great value and sold all he, have, he has. I think selling everything for the kingdom of heaven starts with surrendering our status, our success, and our stuff. One more time. I think selling everything or selling all, as the scripture says, starts with surrendering our status, our success, and our stuff. So what does that mean? Surrendering our status. This gets to this core question of who am I? Who am I? Who do I allow to speak into the core of my own identity? As you look at the parable, and the parable of the hidden treasure, it says a man was working in a field. And there's this thing called, and I'm going to get, I probably don't even share this, but I think it's really cool. There's a thing called exegetical constancy that says most likely in the context of scripture where one thing is talked about in a parable, if it's said in another parable, it means the same thing. So if you look at it before this parable is talked about, Jesus talks of the parable of the weeds. And he says that this man goes in and plants a bunch of seeds in this field and overnight an enemy comes and plants a bunch of weeds. And in the morning he wakes up and he says, and, and he says this parable and it's really confusing to, to those who don't have ears, let him hear it. Which is what Jesus says. And the disciples come and say, hey, will you explain the parable of the weeds? Because that was like weird. 
And he starts off and he says this. He says, the field is the world. And so when we look at this, this servant, who most likely had been hired out, who most likely doesn't know the owner of the field, because in this day, servants were either slaves to the, to the family, so they were a part of the family, they knew the family history, they knew who was the owner of the field, or you were a hired day servant. You were one who sitting in a specific place with a bunch of other servants and someone would come and hire you out for the day and pay you at the end of the day to do some work for them. Most likely, this is a scenario where this servant just got hired, didn't know the field, didn't know the owner, and found this treasure. And so to sell everything for the kingdom of heaven and surrendering our status is to instead of, if the field is the world, allow the world to define who we are, we step back and we move forward and we look at the word and we recognize and we say, okay, I'm no longer allowed the world to define who I am. In surrendering my status, I'm going to say, okay, God, who do you say I am? I'm no longer going to dwell on and worry about and hope that people see me as a good student. Or hope parents are finally proud of me when I get my degree or become a doctor. My whole purpose in life is no longer going to be to pursue becoming a husband or a wife or a dad or a mom. Now, none of those things are bad. None of them. But to surrender status is to let go a little bit of how the world desires for you to be defined and to step into the reality of who God says you are as a son and as a daughter. It's allowing your identity to be defined by the father who cares for you and who loves you, not by what the world sets up it to be. Not about what people think or care about you, but what about what God says about you. The second thing, we surrender our success. This cuts to the question of, okay, what have I done? Maybe this is in schooling. Maybe this is in relationship. Maybe this is in career. Maybe this is in just like, I, I put in my note physically, which sounds aggressive and weird, but it's just like, maybe you like are really proud of the success you found in working out and being able to like run a five minute mile, which I'll never be able to do. Like that sounds really simple, but like we care about this stuff, which again, none of those things is bad. But to sell everything for the kingdom of heaven is to say, okay, have I surrendered this to Jesus? Have I let go of this or am I holding on to something? Because if I don't have it anymore, because if I'm not seen by how successful I am in a certain area of life, what will that mean about me? The third thing that I put down in, in, is surrendering our stuff or, or what we have. And a simple way that we talk about this here at Grace Point is this, this simple idea is what we have are our, ta- our time, our talents, and our treasures. So the time. Have you surrendered your time? Like, one, I think some of you have surrendered your time just in the reality of you're here. Like, you don't have to be here. Right? I don't think any of your parents are like, hey, go to waste it. Maybe. Maybe. But most of you, I don't think so. And so this is an aspect, okay, how am I surrendering? How am I using my time? I'm looking at it. Where's my time going? Have I just even thought about it? What, what I'm not saying is that once you leave this place, like, you can't have fun, you can't hang out, you can't, like, go golfing, you can't, I love to disc golf, I disc golf with our children's pastor Nathan all the time, it's like, I'm not saying you can't do leisure things in your time, but it's just a recognition, like, man, have I actually just thought about how do I use my time, my talents, your abilities, what you've been gifted with? Have you surrendered that? Your treasures. I think a treasure that I know I have wrestled with and did wrestle with when I first got married, a treasure I had was my relationship with my wife. 
And in our first couple years of marriage, I wrestled and struggled with this reoccurring dream that my wife would either die in labor or get hit by a bus. Super aggressive. Like, I, 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 everyone dreams. I don't ever remember my dreams. And that was the one that I was remembering. So, like, I'm awake and I'm an emotional guy, right? Like, I, my, my daughter is me. We're both emotional in good ways and bad ways. Like, I process my emotions. And then when I don't process, we cry because that's the fine. But it's like I wake up bawling. It's like just this reoccurring over and over. And it got to the point where I, I sought counseling for, from it, both pastoral counseling and saw a therapist. And there was something that was just revealed in my soul that, man, I had never really let go of my relationship with, with Abby. I never really surrendered it. I'd always desired, especially when I found Jesus, to just be a good husband and be a dad. Like, it was a core desire in my soul, but it's something that I never really surrendered. And so all of a sudden, I'd get to this point where me, I, I'd have this dream or I'd be thinking about this, like what happened, and just dwell on this negative thought, man, what happens if Abby dies? Am I going like, to be okay? I don't know if I'm going to be okay, man. This is, and, just, and then just start bawling. And it was just that thing where it's like all of a sudden what was happening is I was clenching onto Abby and my relationship with her more than I was clenching onto Jesus. Now, if my wife were to die, would I grieve? Yeah. Would I be horrifically sad? Yes. But over the past decade... And in the 12 years of us being married, we both have come to this moment, this point where, you know what, I'm actually not the most important in my wife's life. And she's not the most important person in mine. Like, it's a treasure, and I cherish her. And I believe highly in the covenant of marriage and what that means. And we serve each other and out-honor each other and love each other. And I, I try to love her as Christ loved the church, which is what Ephesians tells husbands to do. But I know that if she were to go one day, at least I think, because it hasn't happened yet, yeah, like it's going to. That was so weird. <laughs> but if it were, it's like, man, it'll, it'll suck. And that would be sad. But in seeking the kingdom of heaven, I've surrendered all things, including what I have. And that includes my wife. Which there are still moments to this day that I can't lie to you that, you know what, it's hard to think about. Like, man, have I really actually surrendered this? It happens with parenting with me right now. Like, that's the constant thing that I'm realizing in my life. That's like, man, have I actually, like, surrendered this thing? Like, why do I care so much about what other people think of me as a dad instead of just loving on my kids well and pointing them to Jesus? And I wrestle with that, and that's okay. But have I surrendered those things? What are the things in your life that you need to surrender? What is the status, the success, the stuff that you have that is yet to be surrendered? And he here's a, a truth that I want you to know. This can be overwhelming. Like, that's a lot of stuff, and I, I gave some examples, but more so an overall, like, vague theme of, like, hey, basically surrender everything, right? And if you really stop and think about it, it's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff. And like I said, it can be overwhelming, but that's okay, because there's a lot to process. It's a lot to learn. There's a lot to grow into. One truth I know, and I'm probably going to repeat this again at the end, about the kingdom of heaven and what it means to really sell everything, to surrender all to give it all away, is that it's not an instant thing. It's not this one moment where all of a sudden I figured it out. Jesus, here it is. It's all of a sudden there's things that we come up to and realize, oh man, I don't know if that's surrendered. You see, seeking the kingdom first, desiring the kingdom of heaven because you see and recognize its importance and value is when those moments come where you all of a sudden get this realization that, man, I don't know if I've surrendered that, you're willing to. 
Because again, like I said, there's moments where in parenting, it's like, oof. Man, God, I don't know if I trust you enough to allow my kids to know you and love you when they get older and get out of the house. It's like, God, but I'm going to try and surrender. Help me trust you. Man, God, I don't know if this relationship is going to work out. I really want, to, want it to. But God, here it is. This uh, a disciple who, who discipled me when I was in Watertown, as a pastor up there, said, man, hold all things loosely except Jesus. That doesn't mean you don't care about it. It doesn't mean you don't press hard into it. It doesn't mean you don't love well in all areas. It doesn't mean you don't serve well in all areas. It doesn't mean you don't worship God in all areas. It just means recognize that there's things in this world that we pursue, that we go after. They're not as important as the kingdom of heaven. Hold all things loosely except for Jesus. And I know it's hard and that's okay. It's not an instant moment where all of a sudden you surrendered and everything's good. We learn and we grow and we step into it. Comes this moment in our life where it's like, all right, when I hit that thing that all of a sudden I've realized I'm not surrendered, to seek first the kingdom and say, okay, God, help me surrender because I want you first. The point is not that the man purchased a place in the kingdom of heaven, that the merchant purchased a kingdom of heaven. That's not the point because that's not what happened, but rather that receiving, entering, getting the kingdom is worth giving up everything. And here's why. Now I'm going to run through an eight minutes. <laughs> five reasons why I think the kingdom of God, yeah, I knew you five reasons why I think the kingdom of God is valuable. Because that's hard. Like, why is it like that's hard? And what I really want to do right now in this moment is convince you why I think the kingdom of God is valuable. And I can't. That's a Holy Spirit job. Like, that's a God job that I'm not God. Praise the Lord. But I'm going to give five reasons why, how I see the value of the kingdom of God, where I've seen it at work in my life. Number one, the kingdom of heaven is, and when I say kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, same thing. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is not mainly realm or place, but rule and reign. You see, when G, uh, Jewish leaders and the hearers uh, 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 in, in this time, when Jesus were to say, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news, their thought process immediately would have been, all right, finally, the coming Messiah, the Savior, the anointed one, has come to be king right now, to kick out the Roman oppressors and finally establish God's rule here on earth right now in this moment. When they thought kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God, they thought of a physical change. But what Jesus came to bring was, the reality of what he came to bring was a spiritual change. It was not that in that moment, Jesus was all of a sudden going to become king of the Jewish and of the Israel people it was that he came to announce this beautiful reality of what the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what it means to be at hand, and it's a rule and reign. A, a different way just to say this is this. The kingdom of heaven is where Jesus is king. So we talk about surrendering all. It's like what areas in your life have yet to be under the lordship, the kingship of Jesus? Can you say that you, to the best of your ability right now and knowledge right now, Everything is under the kingship of Jesus. He has a say to every aspect of your life. That is what it means to seek first the kingdom of heaven. That's what it is. Even Jesus says in John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Number two, the kingdom of heaven is both searched for and stumbled upon. I love this. You see, in this parable, two different stories, Jesus telling us about the value of the kingdom of heaven. One, you got this servant who was hired day of searching in a field and just stumbles on this treasure. 
And then another one, you have this intentional merchant who knew what he was doing in his day. His job literally was to go around in different places and different stores and different people and find the best pearls that he would buy them and sell them to make profit. Like that was his job. So there's a stumbling upon and then there's an intentionality. And I think every one of us at some point in our life has fallen under both categories. Like for me, this idea of stumbling upon the kingdom of heaven, this is like my story. I knew I was searching for something more than what I was experiencing in life my freshman year of college when I didn't know Jesus, when I was uh, struggling with my own addiction to, to alcoholism, when I was pursuing relationships in an unhealthy way. Like I knew there was something that was missing in my soul, but I didn't know the right questions to ask or what to look out, out for. So there was two different people who lived across the hall that really loved Jesus, that invited me to church, that became my friend. And, and all of a sudden, like, they invited me to church, and I found myself at Oasis when it was over in the activity center one night. It's like, I don't know what just happened. But I gave my life to, like, I stumbled into this thing. And in God's grace, he allowed me to see the value in the kingdom of heaven. Now, in that moment, in that night, did I immediately surrender everything? No, <laughs> not at all. But I started to. Because as I continue to, yes, come to church, but as I continue to be in a relationship with people who really love Jesus, following what it looks like to be a disciple, all of a sudden I switch from the guy who stumbled into the kingdom of heaven to now seeking first the kingdom, which I think is this idea of, of searching, of being the merchant who sought after that which was, which was of great value. And all of a sudden as we, I think, start and get a glimpse and a taste of the kingdom of heaven, we start seeking after it. And once we get that first glimpse, all of a sudden, what ends up happening is like the merchant, it, he sold his practice. He let go of his identity as a merchant in his career. He sold everything his, he had, all of his possessions, to get that which had greatest value. He reprioritized his life because he got a, a taste of that which was great. And Jesus is telling that which is of what most important is the kingdom of heaven. And finding the kingdom, I think what ends up happening for us, whether we stumble upon it or search for it, is we start to end our own striving for success and status and stuff. That all of a sudden striving for the things of this world and what people think is important, it changes. And we no longer strive for that of what the world is important. Instead, we seek first the kingdom. I think there's a really cool, beautiful thing that the kingdom of heaven is so valuable, yet God cares about people so much that he's not going to allow you to not have an opportunity to run into it. That's how good our God is. Third one, the kingdom of heaven has come with a cost. And what's really beautiful about this, it's not a cost that you can pay or are able to pay. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is worth more than anything this world can offer because it didn't come free. It came at the cost of a life. The king of kings and the Lord of lords gave his life that we would know, have, and live in the kingdom of heaven. And that king is Jesus. You look back at his life, death, and resurrection. The proclamation of the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news is Jesus coming to this earth, recognizing that we who are in sin, who have allowed ourselves because of our sin to be separated from God, came and in his own life, in blood, paid a price that we couldn't pay. And now because of it, we get to experience the goodness and the greatness of what it is to be and live in the kingdom of heaven. Because it came at a cost. And yet what's beautiful is not a cost again that we could pay. 
First Corinthians says, you were bought at a price. Acts 20 says, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. The kingdom is a treasure because it represents the state of our salvation. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure because it represents the state of our salvation, the recognition of the good news of the gospel, which is that Jesus came from his throne in heaven to die for us, was risen again, and now trusting in him, repenting and believing and trusting in him, we get to experience now the kingdom of heaven, which gets to the fourth one, number four. The kingdom of heaven is an already, but not yet. The kingdom of heaven is an already, but not yet. There's a reason that he says the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. It is the saving reign of God that is here right now and is yet to come. There's a, this already not yet thing is a theological concept that's been talked about for, I mean, hundreds of years within the church. And it holds this idea that believers are act, that we as followers of Jesus are actively taking part in the kingdom of God, although the kingdom will not reach its full expression until sometime in the future. We are already in the kingdom, but we do not yet see it in its glory. We already are in it. Jesus says the kingdom of God is, hand, is, is at hand, but we not yet experience its fullness because we still live in a broken world. We are already in it because Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the full, but we're not yet there because we still experience death. We are already in it because Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heaven laid, and I will give you rest. But we are not yet in it because we still experience anxiety and worry and stress, stress and hustle and hurry. We are already in it because there's a promise of the fruits of the Spirit. R Romans uh, 14, 17 says this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. There's a promise of us right now in our relationship with Jesus, the promise of, that we've received the Holy Spirit, where we can experience peace and joy. He says you can, you can have self-control. It's a promise. It's not something that we can attain. He said, no, it's something that is given through the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Like, that's real that we can experience now. It's an already. The kingdom of heaven is now. And yet it's not yet because I know for me, I still fall short. I'm still impatient. I still lack in self-control. We live as followers of Jesus in this great theological tension. We already possess every spiritual blessing in Christ, but we do not yet experience the fullness of these blessings yet, right? In one sense, we are adopted, redeemed, sanctified, and saved, and yet in another sense, we have not reached the fullness of what it really means to be adopted. Like, and this one is just, for me, is so beautiful. Like you in Christ Jesus are declared and called and seen by God the Father as a son or daughter. Like that is done. That will not be changed. You know in this moment, this is the already of the kingdom of heaven. You know in this moment how you stand before God because of what Jesus has done for you. And yet we have not experienced the fullness of what it means to be adopted in the family of God because yet we are not present with him physically. So there's a beautiful, like, bigger thing yet to come as adopted sons and daughters that we have yet to experience that is on the horizon in the next life with him, where we get to walk with the Lord as Adam and Eve did in the cool of the day in Genesis. And yet right now we know where we stand. So there's an already and a not yet. And in this, we learn this one big thing. The kingdom of God is so valuable that losing everything on earth but getting the kingdom is a happy trade-off. Losing everything, yet getting the kingdom is a happy trade-off because when we get the kingdom, ultimately what we get is Jesus. When he says, seek first the kingdom, 
He says, seek first my rule and my reign in your life because I'm for you and I love you. The promise in Romans where he says, God works together all things to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Paul says it beautifully in this way. When he counts whatever things were gained to him at loss because of Jesus. Even more, he says, he counts all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. And for Paul, the point is that the loss of all things is not sad when we gain Jesus. Because he's lived it. And I don't know if you know Paul's story in the book of Acts. He gives this reality where he's, he's persecuting Christians. And, and Jesus meets him on the road. And his life changes. I don't think at that moment he would be able to tell you, I consider all things a loss for the gain of knowing Jesus. When Paul sends in Philippians, this idea that he counts all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus, it's at the end of his life. Because I think in that moment, what happened is he experienced in an instant the kingdom of heaven, and now his priorities have changed, and what became most important was seeking first the kingdom, which is seeking first Jesus. And he was able to, at the end of his life, and I don't know when, be able to say, I consider everything else a loss because I've gained Christ. That's what it is to seek for the kingdom of God. In our lifetime, we all decide, like the merchant, what is the pearl of greatest price? What is that which we will hold our ultimate concern in? What is the one thing worth giving up all else for? And like the merchant, when we discover it, we will adjust priorities, even our, our identities, and sell everything. And what Jesus is saying, what is most important is the kingdom of heaven. What is most important is me. So the question I have for you, what is yet to be sold? What is yet for you to be surrendered? And no one believe that nothing you will lose compares to knowing Christ Jesus. I'm gonna invite the band up and give you my fifth one of what I see the kingdom of heaven, the importance of the kingdom of heaven and the implications of pursuing, seeking first the kingdom of heaven. Is this, the kingdom of heaven cannot be kept to ourselves. The beauty of Jesus declaring the kingdom of God is at hand. He was talking to the people that were around him. He's coming to the world and they were saying, hey, it's here. Experience it. Live in the already, but not yet. And in Matthew 10, he says this, as he sends out the disciples, the 72. He says, do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons freely you have received, freely give. Because when we have experienced, received, and live and know the kingdom of heaven, we can't help but give it. So two questions. Like I said, what haven't you sold yet? What is yet to be surrendered? And then the next one, how can you proclaim the kingdom of heaven to those around you? Because the kingdom of heaven was not meant to be kept for ourselves. And again, I'm going to repeat it one more time because I think it's that important. This is not an instant thing where all of a sudden everything is good. Surrendered, here you go. Life is great. It's simple now to follow Jesus because I don't have to worry about anything else. I can almost guarantee this week, maybe tomorrow, you will run into something where you've realized, holy crap, I didn't surrender that yet. And then the question in that moment is what is of most value? What is most important? And you know what's most important. You know when you valued and kept most important the kingdom of heaven, you can say, all right, God, I haven't surrendered this yet. Will you help me? I want to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. <laughs> Jesus, we thank you for these words as we 
dive into even the series, this idea of the, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, there's something really beautiful about what you desire to teach us, to show us, to help us know about your kingdom. And when you give the command in Matthew 6 to seek first the kingdom and your righteousness and all these things will be added, what you're doing is encouraging us to seek your rule and reign in our hearts and our lives. And so tonight, God, I just thank you for every single person here who's watching online. Those who are wrestling right now with that question, God, what have I not surrendered? Those things and, uh, that came to our head as you were just moving in this moment, Holy Spirit, help us surrender those now to you to give you the authority because you're worthy of it, because you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, to give you the authority to allow you to say, you have actually say in every aspect of my life, our relationships, our schooling, our careers, what we think success is, our Thursday nights, our Sunday mornings, every aspect of life. Help us, Jesus, to understand, to know, and to surrender fully, having you speak into those areas. We love you. I praise you. Would you bless every single person here with the knowledge of how much you love them, how much you are for them, the goodness of your heart. Thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen.